Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. And uh, right, I, y'all noticed right when we got started, uh, right when we were getting up this morning, that there's a little drizzle in the, in the air. There's a little rain, okay? And the Bible actually says that God sends rain to both the wicked and the good. And depending on your view of rain, that could be either good or bad, right? <laughs> but the Bible, rain is a symbol of blessing, so um, it shows God's faithfulness. But all that aside, today we are continuing our series about seasons. Seasons. And we've been really uh, unpacking this concept of seasons and trying to give a practical out, uh, a practical application throughout this series uh, when it comes to how to handle and recognize the different seasons that we go through. And today, the title of our message is, Why Do I Feel This Way? Why do I feel this way? And we're going to really be setting this tone today about talking on our emotions through these seasons and handling our emotions through these seasons. And to start off, I want to start uh, by sharing this passage uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 through 8. It says, There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every matter under, uh, under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing, a time to search and a time to give up as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, and a time to tear apart and a time to sew together, a time to be silent and a time to uh, to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And I wanted to share these, uh, this scripture as a preface to today because it shows us all the different kinds of seasons that we can expect in, in our lives as we go through this world. And with every season that we go through comes a series of emotions. Think about this description that we just we, we went through, as it's talking about a time for war, a time for peace, a time for uh, birth, a time for death. I mean, think about all the emotions that come with each of these major events that we go through in life, with major seasons that we go through. And whether seemingly positive or negative, all of these emotions that we are bound to experience can bring a lot of confusion if we're unaware of them where we ask ourselves consistently, why do I feel this way? And our emotions often intensify whatever it is that we're going through, and they can compel us, they can compel us to make rash and even crazy decisions just because of the way that we're feeling in the moment. Just because of the emotion we're feeling in the moment, it makes everything more intense, and it can compel us to make rash decisions. Emotions are incredibly, incredibly unique and peculiar. There are, there are times in which they guide us beyond what we can logically see. They, they lead us into good and even protect us. And there are times which they can lead us in, uh, totally astray. 
that can lead us into damaging moments. And sometimes they're right, and sometimes they're plain out wrong. Sometimes our emotions are right, and sometimes our emotions are plain out wrong. And not only does each season bring a general sense of emotion, but so does each transition of season that we go through. So we're just emotional people. We are all emotional beings. And sometimes that transition from one season to another can feel like, like literally ripping of one's heart, just going through those transitions. And on top of that, we go through plenty of things in life that can make us feel just plain out emotional. Season, regardless of seasons, regardless of transitions, are, we are emotional beings. And even just one underlying emotion can affect all areas of our life. Just one emotion can affect all areas of our life. And I want to just, just grasp this for a second. Uh, a lot of times we, I think, uh, especially in churches, um, we either try to stifle emotions altogether or we try to make our entire experience about emotionalism. And I want us to understand that just one emotion can carry to every area of our life. Okay, and look at what this verse says in, uh, in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. It says, oh, that's not the right one. <laughs> it's not on the screen, so just, uh, just trust me on this. <laughs> it says, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that are ruining the vineyards, while our vineyards are in blossom. This verse is implying that even something small can ruin something great. Something small can ruin something great. In the same way, so can one emotion out of, out of place damage meaningful interactions. Just one emotion out of place can damage meaningful interactions. Think, that is why today we're going to break down our emotions within the seasons uh, in order to better grasp reality and our, traje- our trajectory of the future for our own lives. Y'all feel what I'm saying? So now with that in mind as a preface and a foundation to everything else we're going to talk about, let's look at this verse as we go into our first point. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 3 through 5, it says, Sorrow is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise person than for one to listen to the song of a fool's. This, this is a really powerful verse that says, uh, that is telling us that we can learn from our heart. You can learn from your heart, from your emotions. And no one welcomes sorrow, depression, or even any feeling of being down. No one welcomes that. But what this verse is implying is that with every sorrow comes a lesson. With every sorrow comes a lesson. And when I think about... Uh, uh, I, I think one of the most, uh, the hardest times within uh, my life as far as planting a church was when, uh, was when a member of our church died. And it was a, a completely sorrowful moment. And that, that deep mourning, it, during that time, I had, uh, it was really hard. I wanted to quit the church. I wanted to quit ministry because of just that, those negative emotions going through all of that. But what, what I've learned is that 
Every negative emotion presents an opportunity to grow. Every negative emotion presents an opportunity to grow. The different kinds of painful moments and seasons that we go through allow opportunity to think and learn from them. And, and, and I want to be clear, just like I'm sharing this, an idea of going to a funeral, that, that a time of grieving, that's not something that's within our grasp or control. It's not like that was a, uh, my bad decision and now I have to deal with my consequences. I'm talking about uh, things that happen to us that create negative emotions that even those things we can learn from. Y'all feel, feel what I'm saying? And I don't believe that, I really don't believe that everything happens for a reason. I know, it's like blasphemy, right? <laughs> it's heresy. This, I knew this church was a cult. <laughs> I don't believe that everything happens for a reason. I really don't believe that. But I do think and believe that God turns our ashes into something beautiful. He's able to put purpose into our pain, even though He never purposed that pain for us. The pain that we experience in this world is not just uh, God like, I'm bored today. But in fact, our world is described all the way in Genesis. The very first book of the Bible, it says that this world is broken and full of chaos, uh, evil, and pain. And so it describes this world as being broken. And on top of that, it describes a, a, a manipulator and an, a, an evil one that's intent on bringing destruction to our lives, the devil. And so God knows that this, this place that we're at, this temporary place, is not very, uh, not very nice. But he, even though this was never his intention for this place to be pain for us, he has a, a miraculous way of redeeming our pain, the ashes of our life, into something beautiful. And so, again, I, when, we, when we go through pains, I think that sometimes it's just the chaos of this world, and I think sometimes it's simply e evil in this world. But God is able to turn it, uh, turn that, redeem that pain for purpose, and we are able to develop and grow our character and our spirits when we decide to acknowledge what we're experiencing rather than trying to run from it, rather than trying to suppress it. But it takes that moment of acknowledging our pain. And I really think that sometimes you may go through an entire season in which you may feel a certain way. It's like you have this general sense about you and you don't know why. But once you recognize it, I, I, what I've found is that you should intentionally pray and spiritually seek some type of growth, some type of lesson uh, to grow from, because often the moment in which you develop yourself is the moment that your emotions change. I, I shared about this, this idea of, uh, of how I went through this really dark time when, uh, uh, through, that, through that season of grieving. And again, this is something that was not, it was not a bad decision out of my part. It was not anything that I could tangibly do but when it came to the moment of change of how I felt, the emotions that I would feel, it's not that I skipped the grieving process. Grieving is completely necessary to go through, and no one should ever try to suppress grieving. But the, all of the, the, that darkness that followed the grieving, the, the, the things that trended into the other areas of my life, because again, that motion, that emotion went to all the other areas of my life to where something that... Uh, that all of a sudden now I'm thinking about 
my, my career, my, my aspirations, my job, my life purpose, and I'm doubting it because of something emotionally that I'm going through. And when I, when I started looking for those answers, when I started looking for some type of work to be done in my heart, not only, uh, not only did I end up finding just like a, a deeper why, a deeper foundation for my purpose, and even how I saw the church. I mean, I, I was just telling Terry the other, uh, last week um, that the last journal entry of that year was 2019, the very last journal entry I read it a while back, and it was just so beautiful because I, I was looking to 2020, not knowing that we were going to go through a pandemic. And because of the season of loss and, and sadness, I wrote in that last entry, this year I'm going to focus completely on relationships within my family, within my church, and that's going to be my number one focus. I'm not even going to think about growth within the church. I'm not even going to record attendance for the church. And lo and behold... Good, good thing, Homer, because you're not going to be able to because we're not going to have church in person. <laughs> it's like everything changed to where it was like because I focus on what, where, where can I hear from God through this darkness? I ended up grabbing something so valuable that, that I was able to cherish and grow from in my life. I think about uh, one of the uh, a big moment in my life where it was a season of feeling uh, un, uh, uh, that was a season where it was like an event, right? A season where it was like this unexplainable sadness almost. Y'all go through those? Three, you don't even know why you feel down. I remember going through that er, uh, around 2012, or 2011, 2012, that area. And I remember going through this season and just like not knowing why I was feeling like discouraged, not knowing why I was feeling sad. And there's a day where I was just like really seeking God. And it was, it was very beneficial because at the time I was volunteering in this youth group. And we, we, our youth group did a daily prayer call that you could call into. And someone was leading that prayer call for an hour. And each of us had like one day out of the week to do it. And this specific day, uh, someone asked me to fill in for them. So I was like, all right, I mean... <laughs> I guess so. I already prayed my hour this week, <laughs> but I, I guess that's, you know, how can I say no to praying, right? Because I want to be spiritual. And so as I was doing this somewhat reluctantly during this prayer call in which I don't think anyone got on that day, <laughs> and I'm just praying there by myself, and God just showed me this moment, this is something just very clear where I felt like the Holy Spirit told me that I had this, this pride that needed to be dealt with, and that, that pride... With that, I'm not talking about like a healthy pride, like being pride in your work. I'm talking about like a pride of superiority within myself that God was trying to work on. And that was causing, the, it was the root of this like sadness that I was feeling. It, it was this wedge that was, that was hindering my satisfaction in Christ and with others. And it was this, this very humbling moment where I really felt this, like this work done in myself. And I was like, uh, man, I, I really felt just genuinely like God was changing my heart. And I didn't, I was like, God, I don't want to be prideful. I want to, I want you to renew my heart. And see, at first glance, like it, it seems as though that kind of uh, conviction or correction in my heart is like a bad thing, right? Well, what that led to was me seeking humility. But in the process, I found something so much more valuable because before that point, this is what's really interesting about how our emotions and our spirit work. Before that point, 
I felt ashamed to ever share my testimony. I, I felt ashamed to ever share how I was uh, addicted to drugs, how I was a violent person, how I committed all these crimes. And once I gave my life to Christ, I was like, I don't want to be recognized by any of the things I used to do. And so I wouldn't tell anybody anything. They, I, I remember going to ministry school and people were like, who are you? Why do you have a brand on your chest? Why do you have all these scars on you? Like, this is weird. And I was like, that's none of your business. <laughs> that was just this mysterious enigma, right? But see, I felt so much shame, even, but it was connected to my pride. Once God helped me to understand humility, not only was I able to leave my shame behind, but I was able to share my victory. See, my shame was turned into victory while my pride was turned into humility. And see, that's what happens. It's like you can have some exponential moments of growth when you start seeking God in those times where you're feeling like unexplainably emotional. And I'm not, I'm not, uh, I want to be clear that I'm not trying to project that every depression is like that. I'm not trying to project that, uh, that every depression is spiritual or anxiety or things like that. I, I'm talking about there's moments. Y'all feel what I'm saying? There's moments where when you seek it, you will find it. When you, uh, and so, uh, when, with that being said, the culture, the culture even in our church now, the culture that we have at Gravetop was birthed out of seasons of depression. Think about that for a moment. The, all of the, the things that people say good about this church, I mean, they're beautiful things. And it's all because of the people here that, that we are creating this culture together. But the intention behind our culture, it, it didn't just happen by accident. It doesn't just happen um, by showing up, but we have to intentionally create that as pastors, as leaders. And the, the things that we value now, the, the things that we value in this church that have grown to what it is today were formed out of dark emotions. They were formed out of seasons of depression, seasons of isolation. It was only because of seasons of isolation that it, we experienced that we learned the power of inclusion. Y'all feel what I'm saying? It's only in the moments where I felt completely rejected by everybody within my own church as a youth pastor that I felt this incredible desire to include people at this, in, a, in a church plant. Y'all feel what I'm saying? It, it was only in the moments of rejection that, we, rejection that we learned the power of acceptance. It was only in the moments that we lost ourselves that we truly found ourselves. And... So whatever the season, the season of negative emotions you may be experiencing, I, I just would project to pause and reflect, to pause and reflect and intentionally pray for God to speak to you and then look for something spiritual. Look for something for God to show you or reveal to you that you can grow from. And from my experience, most times, I'm not saying every time, but most times there's something that I, the moment that I capture it, it, I feel like my emotions immediately shift. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Now, with this concept comes an aspect of self-reflection. And, and self -reflect, within self-reflection, we must acknowledge. And as a preface, I want us to look at a couple of Bible verses. It says in Proverbs 16, 25, There is a way which seems right to a person, but its end is the way of death. Another verse says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. 
Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind to give each person according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. This next point, I want us to grasp this concept of to take a step back. Take a step back. And when I say take a step back, I mean to do our best to look in a third-person perspective outside of the emotions we're feeling at the moment. It's not always easy to do that, but it, I really think that it's in our sinful nature to assume ourselves to be right, especially when we're on the road. Y'all know what I'm talking about? When I'm driving, if anyone honks at me, it's like, hey, I'm just merging, bro. But even just on the way over here, a truck was kind of like, you know, doing a little this next to us. I was like, which lane are you going to pick? <laughs> See, anytime someone else makes a mistake, I'm just like, they obviously don't have their license. But when I make a mistake, I'm like, hey, chill out, okay? <laughs> There's a lot of cars on the road right now. You don't need to be honking at me. <laughs> See, we, we naturally assume that we're right. We have, it's just within our nature especially when we feel like we're right. Isn't that a weird emotion, that feeling of being right? You know what I'm talking about? It's like there's, it's not even in your head. It's like, I just, I just feel like I'm right though. Like for example, when me and Lauren get into an argument, it's, it's weird because both of us feel like we're right, even though I'm really right. <laughs> What? <laughs> See, we, we feel like we're right. And often that just the feeling of being right will convince us that we are right, even when logic and reality is trying to tell us and sh- trying to show us that we're wrong. Have you ever had a moment where you couldn't find your phone? You couldn't find your keys? Especially if you, you're like in a house with other people. You got kids in the house. Oh. And the first thing that we do is when we go to check where we think it is, what do we do? We assume that someone else moved them, right? And if you're, if, you're really, if you're really feeling it that day, feeling right that is, you'll go around the house asking everybody what they did with your phone or keys. Where did you put it? I left it right here. I know that you moved it. No, I didn't see it. You must, were you cleaning or something? That's the biggest thing with Lauren, me and Lauren. Like, were you cleaning or something and you moved it and now you don't know where it is? <laughs> is that what happened? No, I didn't, I didn't touch it. And you go around accusing everybody in the house, getting all flustered, emotional, and all of a sudden you realize that was where you were sitting. <laughs> the last place you were sitting is where it was. Or you go and check your pants pocket from the day before and you realize you, you never took them out. And see, it's those moments where we, feel, we felt like we were so right. But at the end of it, we were dead wrong. This is why I'm saying that we need to take a step back. Because these are the moments in which we let our hearts take the wheel and have full control of how we behave and act. And we throw perspective into the wind because we just know. We just know. Think about how many marriages have been ruined because of emotions like this. Because they just know. How many workplaces turned into unpleasant places of gossip because those people just knew. 
Think about how many fights are still going on this weekend that started on Friday and are still continuing today because people just knew. How many avoidable bad situations do we go through because we can't control our emotions? Let me share another story. I like sharing stories. I remember early on when I was a youth pastor, I was still really um, you know, new to the whole church scene. But they were like, this guy's hair is crazy. Let's give, let's give him the youth pastor job. And I remember this meeting that we had. The associate pastor had told us we were outgrowing our meeting space in the basement of the church. And uh, we had, when we started youth pastoring, there's like, I don't know, like six kids. <laughs> and all of a sudden, we, grew, uh, we were, uh, grew, outgrew this space where we had 66 kids like meeting in this place kids standing in the back like there's a stairway right here and we're they're all just like packed up sitting on the stairs and I was like well we need to meet somewhere else within the building and so the the associate pastor uh, and I had a meeting and he said well you know what how about you try doing the youth service on Sunday nights instead of Wednesday nights sure I would love to come back to church on Sunday evening to do that that's great (laughs) and so within this within this church there was also like a lot of other aspects that meant set up tear down that meant media and you know now i know how to do everything myself but then we had other people that that actually were paid to do that and we ended up uh having a separate meeting called be, with the the worship leader that was supposed to come and lead worship for the youth i mean now i figured out how to do it with youtube videos right but we had to have, they had to, because that meant they had to come back. That meant the media team had to, the media director had to come back. And so we had this meeting and they just simply didn't like the idea of coming back to church. Even though they were paid to do it. I was a volunteer. And I remember in this meeting, it was getting kind of heated. And so it was making me mad, right? And there's, there's two emotions I want to talk about in this meeting. There's one part in which someone started to really let us have it. I, for me, I, I felt like it was a, a, a disservice to say, hey, I don't want to do it. The associate pastor just told me that this is the day now. And so I was trying to be a leader and lead it. I was like, well, this is the day that you know, we feel like is best, etc." And so they're just letting us have it. And, and she specifically said, you know, what? I had a bad day at my other job today. And so I'm not going to hold back. So, obviously, a huge sign of maturity, I know. But, <laughs> see, just to unpack that for a moment, I, felt, I feel emotional from something outside of this. But I'm going to let all of those emotions that I held back earlier out on you. Even though you're not the one that made me feel these emotions, because I felt angry from somewhere else, I'm going to let it all out here. And I feel like because I'm right, I feel like I can do that. See, it's that, that feeling, that emotion that makes us feel justified in what we do because we feel it. And there's a moment with, near the end of this meeting, after getting it, let, being all this uh, emotions being poured out on us, there's a, I was holding my tongue, guys. I was really holding my tongue and I was trying to be pleasant, patient, whatever other word that starts with a P. But there's a moment where the worship leader uh, who had to step out for a moment 
And I, I seriously thought this. I seriously thought this. This is when I'm a youth pastor. I, I critically thought to myself, when he comes back in, I'm going to get up and I'm going to deck him in the mouth. Because I feel like that will fix everything. <laughs> I really felt in that moment that it would fix everything. That some people just need to get beat up one time. I still believe that today. <laughs> There's just sometimes certain people, not everyone, but some people just need to get punched in the mouth one good time. Me too! <laughs> and my emotions were making me feel like that was the right thing. Luckily, the Holy Spirit was like, you will ruin everything. <laughs> and I made this big mistake, and I got up. No, I'm just joking. I didn't hit him. <laughs> but... I held back. So those two emotional feelings that were felt in that room, one let out, one held back. And it, le it, it leads me to say that it is immature to assume that your emotions are justified. It is immature to assume that your emotions are justified. We should look to better ourselves. And in order to do that, we have to step back and realize this. We have to take a third-person perspective because just because you feel a certain way doesn't mean that you have the right to feel that way. Think about jealousy. Think about jealousy. There's a type of jealousy that's undeserved and there's a jealousy that is deserved. For example, when God says he is jealous for his people, he has the right to be jealous because he has paid a high price for us in our hearts and our souls. He created us. It's similar to that of me and my wife, Lauren. I have a right to be jealous of her if she were to go and make out with some other guy, which would never happen. <laughs> God, I just got mad saying that. <laughs> that would never happen, but I would have a right to be jealous because we have a covenant together. We, I have a right, a marriage license that says I have the right to feel that way. But say I just liked Lauren. I just saw her smoking hot body walking in the room. I was like, ooh, that's my future wife right there. And I got all spiritual. And I was like, man, she's about to meet her Boaz right now. And started saying all these weird church things. And all of a sudden, she got with somebody else. Imagine this scene and me feeling jealous of that. See, that would be something that is not justified. Just because I feel that way doesn't make it right. See, our emotions, uh, our emotions can be unjustified. And what I've found is that usually the moments in which we feel negatively about someone else, it turns into me wanting to control something about them. Every time we feel a negative emotion about someone else, I found that typically it's us wanting to control something about them. Just like in that scenario of jealousy, that strong emotion, you're wanting to control someone without having the right to. When you're angry with someone, you're wanting to, to force them to, to, to listen to you, to, to do what you're saying. You're trying to control, even though you have the, don't have the right to control them. And what, what it really ends up reflecting is an area within my own self that I need to let go from. When I have those strong emotions that are really me wanting to control someone, it reflects truly an area that I needed to let go from instead. There used to be a time where I would get upset if someone didn't take the advice that I would give. 
and it was very, it was, I was, it's been years, so now I'm just like, you ask me for advice if you want. <laughs> but I would feel this negative emotion when someone wouldn't take my advice, and I, believe, I would believe that I was justified on how I felt. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And I felt those way, but the reality was that their decisions in life shouldn't affect me. Other people's decisions in life shouldn't affect me because they have nothing to do with me. Even if they're a close family member, I may not like to see what their life is going through, but at the end of the day, it, it's not my life. I can't control their life. I can only control my own. And I don't have to live with their decisions. They do. So why do I feel upset? They have to live with it. I have to let go of it. And when I took a step back and realized that, that for one, I was being immature trying to control someone, but two, I was placing my value in their reaction and response to my advice. See, when you really unpack why am I feeling this way, there, there's inner things in our being that we can learn from. I, I, I was putting my value in their response. My insecurity translated into trying to control someone else. My fears can be translated in trying to control my kids. But, but once I took a step back and got out of my emotions, I was able to make major steps of growth and maturity within myself by learning that it's not my job to control what other people do. I can only offer support, help, advice, and sometimes they might find a better way than I would have found. You ever think about that? Other people's choices and decisions shouldn't affect us as, as much as we typically let them. I, I believe that we really need to let go of how we feel and recognize that we don't have a right to control anybody but you. It, it, even within my marriage, I don't have a right to control my wife. And she doesn't have a right to control me. We, we live cohesively together. and We learn our codependency together. But at the end of the day, none of us can really control one another, and nor should we. And even if someone does something directly to you, you can only control what you do next. Even if someone does something directly to you, you can only control what you do next. Just like when I wanted to hit that guy. They made me do it. <laughs> At the moment, it's like, this is like the, a completely reasonable reaction to what, they, what they're saying to me. Anyone else on the street would have got hit in the mouth a long time ago. What's the difference us being in a church? <laughs> See, I can only control how I respond. So with this being said, I want us to go over one last thought. And to lead us into it, I want to share these verses. It says in Proverbs 19, 2-3, Enthusiasm without knowledge is no good. Haste makes mistakes, and people ruin their lives by their own foolishness, and then are angry at the Lord. Look at what this verse says in Luke 14, 28. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? I just realized that that's not as relevant. <laughs> I don't know how many of y'all built a tower before. But y'all get the concept, right? How many of y'all have... How, 
This is like Jesus saying, how many of you guys would take out a car loan without first seeing how much it costs on a monthly bill? <laughs> See, this leads us to, to, to this last point, which is feelings aren't enough. Feelings aren't enough. We, we can enter into things based off of how we feel in the moment quite often. And from our faith to marriages, to relationships, and even whether or not to get on a roller coaster, we do so based off of our emotions, based off of our feelings. And we decide, while those feelings can last for a prolonged period of time, these emotions will still inevitably change over time, good or bad. When, when I was younger, I remember a moment that I got this amazing opportunity to go to, with my brother to Universal Studios in Orlando. I think I was like in, I don't know, like sixth grade, seventh grade. I was, I was pretty young. And I realized that once we were there, I was terrified of roller coasters. <laughs> I was so scared at that moment. And I remember my brother was like, come on, let's go. And it was like, I hadn't even thought about it until I was standing in front of the roller coaster. I was like, no, you go ahead. <laughs> and he's like, are you serious? <laughs> he's like early 20s at this point. He's ready to, like, to have a great time with his little brother. And I was like, no, just go ahead without me. I can't do it. Because I felt that way. And we went that whole day with maybe getting on like two or three rides. <laughs> And it was like just this huge deflating moment, right? <laughs> but see, it's because of how I felt right then. Well, years later, I love roller coasters. Put me on the Iron Rattler. I want to sit on the front row. I'm ready to go. And I, I, I like the thrill. I like that feeling now. But then I didn't. I feel a different way. But see, it took several years for those emotions to change, didn't it? But what it shows us is that emotions... They can lead one into marriage, and emotions can lead that same person into adultery. See, emotions can initiate some of the most beautiful experiences of our lives, and they can also initiate the most brutal experiences of our lives. Emotions are fickle, and even when they make way for the best things of our lives, they won't always keep them. It, what it shows me is that emotions always change and they can't be trusted. Emotions always change, and they can't always be trusted. If you're in a good season, I, I really believe that we can find some of the best things in life because of the emotions we feel at the moment. And it makes me think about when, uh, when I, it's like when I met Lauren, I had these great emotional vibes. I, uh, I had, uh, we both had these you know, the spark, this, this little flame going on. And in, in the good season that we had, we built, a, we built foundation to our marriage. We built foundation to our marriage. We, early on in our, uh, when we were even just dating, we, we, we felt so good about it. But we had really tough conversations with each other to be foundation for past the emotions. Y'all feel what I'm saying? I think that especially if you're in a good season, it's the best time to build the foundations to the things that matter to you. To, to solidify the things that you cherish now so that when storms rage against it later, 
it will still be standing. It, and I think that when it comes to church, a lot of churches have have made a big big foundation off of emotionalism. We we form entire services and retreats to cater to this emotionalism, and I think that it's incredibly dangerous. Because for me, I, I was not raised in church, but early on, and as soon as I started going to church, I'd always ask people, "Why are you a Christian?" I was just genuinely interested. Like, I just got here. How have you already been here? And people would always tell me their reason, and it was always an emotional one. My life has been really good, or my life has been really bad. Or my family has just always been here, so I just pretty much was born here too. But see, those, those emotional things are subject to change. And I remember witnessing people going on like these three-day retreats to where this, in, this entire three days was like a, a very concentrated emotional experience rather than a spiritual experience. It would be labeled as a spiritual experience, but after going through it so many times as a, a you know, leader and a helper, etc., I've realized that it was more so catered to the emotionalism that we feel. It would always, uh, it, it would always go into like someone's childhood trauma. It would always go into a father wound. It's like if I, want every, if I want a good amount of people to cry in a room, whenever I finish a message, if I'm going into an altar call, I'll just have people close their eyes and start talking about how, how uh, lonely their childhood was or how, how absent a father was. And I'm bound to make somebody cry. Is that spiritual or is that emotional? And see, that's what I'm getting at is we've made things so emotional. And once that the hearts are tender, we say, now Jesus stamp. Let's just label God there. And seeing the emotion, it feels a little bit, it feels better. It feels like a band-aid over this wound. But all we did was re-traumatize someone and and then offer this, this temporary idea of solution by suppressing the trauma and focusing on God instead. Focusing on God is, of course, meaningful and necessary no matter where you're at in life. But... I believe that we've all offered false solutions at times when we've, when we've addressed real trauma that people experience without addressing real trauma that people have experienced. We've only poked the wound. And what I've seen is initial salvation. Well, meaning people who have their hearts tenderized and because of the way they feel, come to Jesus with open arms. And I've seen that last for several years. But around anywhere between like three and seven years, I've seen those same people that were at once like seemed like just so on fire for God, loved the Lord, and all of a sudden their, their emotions have changed. And they just stop going to church. They, they, they don't see the value in Christ like they once did because they no longer feel as emotional as they once did. We have connected the, solution, the, the, the idea of Christ to only be a solution to emotions. But our emotions always change and can't always be trusted. And I believe that even people start thinking about how they, their emotions can't be trusted. And a lot of those same people will start saying 
when, uh, that I've talked to, at least, a lot of them will say, well, you know, I realized I was just going through a really dark time and like God was just, you know, it just helped me through that time period. But now I'm better. See, it just helped me when I needed it, but now I don't need that anymore. It was a solution-oriented Jesus rather than a savior Jesus. Jesus. Y'all see what I'm saying? Our emotions are fickle. And I really believe that it, it is so important to know why you believe what you believe. I, I never, I really never hear, I, to this day, I never hear when I ask a stranger that I meet, why do they call themselves a Christian? I never hear anyone tell me because they believe Jesus rose from the dead. When I gave my life to Christ, I was totally, my emotions were all over the place. I was in a dark place. I was bored. I, I, I might have been either being spiritually oppressed or developing schizophrenia. I lean towards being spiritually oppressed. I was hearing like screaming in my ears when I tried to go to sleep at night. So I was like, I really need something. And I, get, I ended up finding Jesus through reading the Bible on my own. And I just, I just realized one day that Jesus died for me on the cross. I remember reading in Leviticus about how they would make sacrifices in Israel and how they would like get these pigeons and tear them in half and sprinkle the blood here and there. And that's how you get the, uh, that's how they would atone for their sins. And I was like, oh my gosh, how am I going to capture a pigeon? <laughs> I was like, this is going to be the most disgusting thing I've ever done, but I need to get my sins forgiven. <laughs> and then they clicked. That's, oh my gosh, that's why Jesus died on the cross. If some animal could, could atone for my sins and take the punishment for me, how much more the Son of God? And there at the table I'd read, I, I, I prayed for Jesus to be my Savior. I, I had started seeking God out of my emotions, but I really made my commitment to God out of that, that, that foundational revelation of Jesus paying for my sins on the cross. And my, I, I remember early on in my faith, I was like really on fire. I was, I was, I, I, I'm still on fire today. I, I'm very passionate about Jesus. But I remember I was, I was telling just everybody and their mother about what God had done in my life. And I, I felt like I found the, this best kept secret and I was trying to share pe- uh, about it with other people. And the most kickback that I got was actually from, from older Christians that went through that phase. <laughs> They, oh, yeah, I went through that phase. I was all on fire like you. That'll pass. <laughs> yeah, that'll pass. See, what they were describing is, yeah, I felt all emotional at one point, but my emotions changed. And I remember, I'm, now look, I'm kind of a rebellious in nature, and so I remember thinking, like, I'm going to prove them wrong. And so I, I, I really thought to myself, I want to really form a foundation of my faith so I don't end up like these suckers. And so that was why I went to ministry school. That was why I went to ministry school, not to become a minister, but because I really wanted to form a foundation to my faith. And this concept of knowing why you believe what you believe is so pivotal in every area of your life. I know why I'm married to Lauren. I know why I want to be there for my kids. I know why I show up to this church on Sunday. And I know why I believe in Jesus. Because I've, de- I've determined to find out why I believe what I believe. To know why I believe what I believe. And the most important thing to your faith is to understanding 
why you believe what you believe. And I found the most beautiful scripture that you could ever read. And it's in 1 Corinthians 15, 17. And that is, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. This single verse, this single verse gives an entire point for all of our faith to be proven wrong. Did you know that in philosophy, in order for something to be accepted as a philosophical view, it has to give a point to be proven wrong. And here, God does that. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, then it is all a lie. Either Jesus was a liar or a lunatic. But if he did raise from the dead, then he is truly Lord. All of our faith is founded on this. And so it means, if you, if you were to ever be asked, why are you a Christian? Your testimony is still valid. It's still valuable. But you can start by confidently saying, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. It's a simple fact. I'm telling you, all of, uh, it makes me so irritated when I see uh, like a lot of like very popular Christian people publicly disown their faith. Like there's so many, uh, it, over the years, it's like I see more and more very popular Christian influencers who say, I, I, can't, I can no longer go out on stage and say that I'm a Christian. I have so many doubts and this and that. It's like, dude, get out of here. It, the, the doubts that you have, everybody has. You're not special. I've, I've had the same doubts that you've had. I've had my, those same questions, those deep thoughts, th those confusing seasons in life. But what I've been able to go back to is this reality that even though I might have questions or doubts, I can reassure myself that I truly believe, not just because the Bible tells me so, but because of so, so much history, so, so much logical reasoning, I can find and believe truly, outside of my faith, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I, I really believe that. It, just think about the story itself, the accounts that it shares. It says that the, the disciples, when Jesus was being led away to be crucified, they all left him. They had their own doubts. And they're like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. And they were not willing to die or be persecuted for the name of Christ. But after the resurrection, after they saw him raised from the dead, alive, they were convinced without a doubt that he was the son of God, that everything he said was true, to the point that each one of them were willing to die. Do you know that 10 out of 11 disciples were killed for Christ? The only one that wasn't killed was John, who wrote the book of Revelation when he was left for dead on the island of Patmos. So all once cowards, because they weren't certain, completely confident and courageous after they knew and recognized that Jesus rose from the dead. Think about Mary Magdalene. She was the first person that saw Jesus rose from the dead. If it was all made up, if it was all a lie... Why would they put the first testimony, the first eyewitness in the hands of a woman 
when at the time, a, that wouldn't even be able to be used in court. The, the, it would make more sense to make it like a big story to where it's like he's, he showed up to the government official, back to Pilate and said this. No, it, it shows the authenticity because it doesn't rely on the recognition of others, but on simply the truth that it is. Not to mention there's so much historical, secular evidence that talk about Jesus' resurrection. This is not just made up. There's so much account to the point where for hundreds of years, all of the world had a consensus of even dividing time based off of this resurrection. Think about that. It, it's, this is not just something that was done in the secret. And if we can understand that our faith is founded in the resurrection, we can, under, we can move past our feelings with our faith and really get into spiritual growth. To grow even when we don't feel like to grow. To, to, to know God even when we don't want to feel like knowing God. It's a difference when you have that faith founded in truth. And it's a truth that will never change. With that being said, I want us to all close our eyes and bow our heads. And if you're here, and as I'm, I'm hitting on feelings and emotions, and this very last thing that I talked about, why do you feel this way? Maybe right now you feel a certain way with inside your heart, with inside your gut. And you're recognizing that you have never really made a clear decision for Christ in your life. Maybe you've felt different ways at church. Maybe you've felt good ways. You've felt bad ways. But in this moment, you, you feel like you recognize this truth, this very powerful and simple truth that you've never recognized before and you're wondering, why do I feel this way? And I really believe that that is Jesus calling you into truth, into his salvation. With every head bowed and eye closed, if that's you here today and you want to make a decision to put your trust in Jesus Christ, every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. I see all your hands. I see your hands. The Bible says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is. Again, it's just what we're talking about, the truth. Surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is if you have a genuine heart and acknowledge who Jesus is, the Son of God who died on the cross for the world's sins and rose from the dead, surely you shall be shaved. <laughs> shaved. Saved. It's serious, guys. Stop. Surely you shall be saved. It's, it's so simple. And the word repentance is simply translated to change directions. I believe that when we change directions towards Jesus, towards God in our lives, that that is the moment our lifestyle changes. That direction changes forever. And as we walk closer to Jesus, it doesn't mean everything in our lives is all of a sudden uh, switched in a moment, but I believe that all of that direction, the direction to everything in our lives, is switched in that moment. And we start walking closer and closer to goodness and farther and farther away from darkness. If that's you, you don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You can have that conversation yourself. You can be responsible for your own faith by talking to Jesus yourself. With, while they're doing that, if you're here and you felt like this message was hitting for you today, Maybe you've been feeling really emotional lately. 
And you're recognizing just this moment where you're taking a step back out of your emotions and realizing God is showing you something, trying to teach you something. And you're, you're, you're recognizing even God showing you things right now in this moment. And this is what you needed to hear today. With every head still bowed and eye closed, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. See all of your hands. So now I'm going to pray for you. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would solidify the work that you started, that, that these people would not be just going through an emotional roller coaster right now, but that you'd be revealing your truth, that you're speaking directly to their hearts, to their minds, and that you are guiding them by the hand. I pray for your Holy Spirit to cause them to feel and experience the presence of God in this moment, that they would experience your victory in this moment, that they would experience your resolution, your redemption, and even unity. I rebuke all dissension and division in the name of Jesus, and I speak... Uh, redemption in the lives of every person here. I, I pray for unity in their lives and in their spirits, and I thank you that you are doing a work in them and through them. I pray for your Holy Spirit to finish what it started. I thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.